you have questions about this part and the Ministry of Reconciliation, Natasha over here. So. I was just wondering, can you tell us a little bit more about Titus? Because, I mean, he had to deliver this letter and represent Paul to all these churches that he could have walked into a very negative situation and the type of person he must have been to yeah. be able to represent Paul well in that and then to kind of, you know... How he navigated himself through yeah. that process must have been quite something. Yeah. Titus is what I would call an apostolic man. Uh, what I mean by that is he is he's, he's in the immediate network or mission of Paul as apostle. So Titus was not an apostle. Uh, he, was, he was someone who was working together as a partner in the ministry of Paul as an apostle. And we don't, you know, we don't know a whole lot about him. I do give a, a brief introduction to him in the, in the commentary. But he's, he and Timothy seem to be Paul's two closest young um, people that, that Paul is mentoring in this broader ministry. So they don't end up being um, local pastors, as we would think about it. They end up being um, people who are helping Paul, under Paul's direction, oversee you know, churches throughout the Mediterranean world. So, um, so a couple of things there. Paul seems to be keen in his ministry on having people live with, travel with him, minister alongside of him. So I think probably the main reason why Titus was able to carry out this role is because literally he had spent so much time in Paul's presence, ministering alongside of Paul, being trained by Paul, then he was just able to carry on that form of ministry. If, if there's one thing that I would do differently, looking back on you know, the past 30 years of my ministry, 35 years or so, and, and that I'm thinking right now as I go to a new context, I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to embody this kind of life together type of relationship with my students, with students in the church that we were involved with, so that it is a walking together so that they're, I'm not just giving them a, a, a notebook and saying, here, here are all these cool notes, go teach these. What I'm actually doing is living in community with them over a period of years so that then they pick up patterns and principles that they, have, they, they embody in their own lives. Um, this is not a, not a huge example of that, but we have one young man who was in our ministry in, in Jackson, Tennessee. His name's Ryan Sinney. He's very intelligent. He's going right on from graduating from Union University this past May into a PhD program at Baylor University. So he's going into a program that does master's two PhD. Very, very bright guy. But for the past four years, he's been in our home many Thursday nights when we had, we had an event called Go Thursday. And um, what we would do is we would just put on a big pot of something to eat. We would hang out for a couple of hours together. And we normally didn't have any formal program, but many evenings we would end up around the table talking about English literature, theological issues, how do you deal with this aspect of modern culture, just living. And one thing that Ryan said, you know, upon graduation this past spring, he said, you know, I really am thinking that, that God is calling me to probably be a professor, maybe a professor and a pastor or whatever. But he said, I want to do Thursday. 
you know, in my, in my life in ministry. Well, that was not because we sat down with him with a particular Bible study and said, it's a good idea to have people in for a meal in your home. It was because he had lived it. And I think that's what happened with Titus. I think Titus, I think Paul's strategy was to take on a young man like that and just, just walk with him and have such a big impact. And, you know, we, we, we don't realize how big of an impact that really has on people that we're ministering to. So whatever your ministry is, I would encourage you to have some form where you are walking with people and inviting them into your ministry to walk with you in the context of that ministry. Uh, many of you don't know the name of Michael Card, but 35 years ago or so, Michael Card was was you know winning Dove Awards, sold millions of, of albums and stuff. He, he wrote the song El Shaddai, if you've ever heard El Shaddai, a um, number of songs like that. And, um, and Mike, um, started, he was a forestry student at Western Kentucky University, and he decided to take some Bible and theology classes, and he landed in the class of a man named Dr. William Lane, who would go on to write the two-volume word biblical commentary on the book of Hebrews and become my mentor for 10 years. But, but what happened with Mike was um, Bill just invited him literally to walk with him. Mike would stop after class and say, Dr. Lane, this part of the, of the gospel of Mark, what, what is this all about? He'd say, Mike, do you, have, you know, do you have 45 minutes or an hour? And he'd say, sure. He'd say, let's go walk. So they would just go out and walk around the campus of Western Kentucky University and talk. And out of that, one day, uh, Bill said to Mike, he said, you know, Mike was talking to him about a particular passage. He said, Mike, here's your assignment. Go write a song about this story in the gospel. Because he, he had picked up how musically gifted Mike was. And that literally launched Mike's ministry of music that has impacted millions of people in the world. And it was because of this coming alongside. I, I'm not the best example of that in my life, but I want, to, I want to learn and think about how do we do that where we, where we basically are living alongside of somebody else. So, so Titus, I think, it wasn't so much that he had been you know, trained you know, in, in certain ways. I think a lot of it, Paul certainly, as they were walking along the road and traveling, all this kind of stuff, was teaching him theology and how to interpret the Bible and all that kind of stuff. But I think probably his ability to go as Paul's representative was largely based on the fact that he had just been with Paul so much in ministering to churches like that, then he was able to, to pick up and take that ministry on uh, by the grace of God. I wish we knew more about him. He's, I really look forward to meeting all kinds of people. Titus will be one of those. I look forward to meeting him. All right, somebody else, another question. Good question, yeah. Good question. No pressure. Yeah. George, thanks for a great session. Just regarding the understanding of repentance. You know, I come from a church background where the word repentance isn't really um, a common word used in, in speaking about salvation. Mm-hmm. So is this understanding of repentance that leads to salvation in this context, is it, is it in terms of gospel mm. salvation? Or are these all believers that had, had, had uh, committed uh, sinful ways and they needed to repent and, and turn back to the Lord? Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, 
I think that he's using uh, soteria here, the concept of salvation, broadly. We, we tend, because of historical background, we tend to use salvation as a very narrow kind of concept. Um, you know, in my, in my tradition, that kind of thing, I mentioned before that it's very conversionist-oriented. Salvation is almost, you know, it'd be very common in the South, in Baptist life, for somebody to say, have you been saved? And what they mean is, have you had a conversion experience where you walked down and, you know, confessed your sins and you were baptized and joined the church? That's exactly what that means. The, the problem is, soteria in the broader Greco-Roman world referred to all kinds of things, like uh, being healed from a deadly disease, being taken uh, out of captivity. Like, uh, for instance, you remember when we talked about the triumphal procession, how people were freed from slavery in that foreign land and brought back to Rome. That is called salvation. They were saved. In fact, Augustus Caesar himself was called Lord and Soter, Lord and Savior, because he preserved the lives of people by setting up, you know, a good empire and all that kind of thing. So in, even in the New Testament theology, salvation can refer to you repenting from your sins and you accepting the gospel and experiencing salvation in that sense. But salvation tends, remember, in biblical theology, tends to have a past, a present, and a future, depending on where you're looking. So Hebrews 9.28 says, Jesus will come at the end of the age and bring salvation with him. And what that means is that we're going to be saved from this corrupt world as we are transformed and God brings us into the new heavens and the new earth. And that's, that's a form of salvation that all of us are still looking forward to the deliverance from the presence of sin and the fallenness of this world. So it's not discounting at all the fact that there's a form of repentance that leads to coming into the new covenant, and the New Testament can speak in those terms. But it can also speak in terms of present and future. Here's what I think is going on here at this point in 2 Corinthians is the form of salvation of manifesting that you really do have a relationship with God, having you on a trajectory where you're going to, you know, be God's people at the end of the age. So it's, it's a repentance that delivers you from this crisis moment where some of you seem to be abandoning the gospel and abandoning the church and Christ. So I may, you know, I may not be exact. He he doesn't unpack the concept here, does he? But I think contextually, what he's talking about is them vindicating themselves in the situation, and in, in, in fact, showing that their hearts really are aligned with true Christianity and the gospel and Paul's mission by the way they responded to the situation. And and what he's saying is, it shows that you are on a trajectory of. Salvation. In other words, it'd be another way of saying that you really are Christians and that's being manifested in your situation right now. I think we have to look at the theology holistically and say, yes, and, and you, you can ask me, are you, are you conversionist? Yes, I am. I believe that people have to repent and embrace the gospel and bow before Jesus as Lord. And in that sense, I believe that people are converted in that sense. Yes, but... I do believe that conversion and salvation is whole lot, you know, it's, it's holistic too, and it will lead to a path of discipleship, which is 
a living out of being saved from various things in this world and, and will issue into a form of salvation that will culminate at the end of the age. In other words, what happened to me at conversion was inaugurated and it will be consummated when I experience the resurrection at the end of the age. It's a package deal. Okay? All right. Uh, one, one final question, and we'll, we'll, I'm going to have a prayer, and then we're going to have a break. Yeah. Sure. Thank you, George. Um, 9B reads, uh, For you felt the godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Mm-hmm. Loss in view. Yeah, what exactly is yeah. that? One, one thing that Paul's going to do as he moves on into the chapters 10 through 13 is he's going, to, he's going to show that one of the outcomes of these false teachers is that they really end up being pretty brutal relationally. He, he's, gonna, he's actually going to give a description of them right before what we call this full speech, where he says, you know, you guys say that I'm weak. Yeah, I don't abuse you. I don't rip you off financially. You know, he, he gives this list of these really harsh things, and he says, if, that is the, if that's what being weak is, that I don't do these kind of things to you, hey, I admit I'm weak. And so what he's talking about here, I think he's alluding to the type of sorrow that leads to loss. It, it actually hurts somebody in a way that is a bad place for them to be in life, and it's not healthy spiritually. So, so I think he actually has in mind the false teachers here, because think about it, they're, the false teachers, and, and you can think of any type of legalistic type of ministry, that, that it, it bears bad fruit because what it does is it brutalizes people, it bruises them in a way, it puts them on a path where they are less confident in themselves, less confident in the grace of God, and, and they suffer loss in the sense that, they, that, the, that the confrontation moves them farther away from God rather than closer to God. And so Paul is contrasting that with a godly form of repentance that is um, leading them to health, leading them to relationship with God. It's a, it's a gain in that, that sense rather than loss. So he says this kind of confrontation we have is painful, but it didn't reduce you. It actually made you more of who you needed to be and in a healthier place. And that's one of the marks of, of a, you know, a godly form of ministry. Let me, let me close by saying uh, one final thing. When I was talking about the, the type of confrontation and repentance and all that kind of stuff, some of you in here may be in a moment of conflict right now in your ministries, and it is painful and it's not resolved, and you need wisdom in how to deal with it, live it out. It's kind of brutalized you. Let me, let me pray for you just for a minute before we have... A good, a good break here. Let's pray together. And if any of you need to talk about it with me or one of the other leaders here, there are actually people who are gifted counselors here at the church. Who That's not my primary gift, but you know I can maybe direct you to somebody, but I'll be glad to talk to you about it if you'd like to. So let, let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much that we can step right into your presence, Lord. Thank you that we can see your face and your glory. And Lord, uh, yet we know that when we're in times of conflict uh, and emotional pain, it's very hard for us to see clearly, think clearly. Uh, It can be consuming when we are people of peace who are in a situation of pain and conflict. And so I want to pray for brothers and sisters here who are really bruised right now. They're really struggling. They're really 
tempted to be fearful about the outcome of a conflict that they're involved in. Some of them are grieving because of broken or lost relationships. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would intervene in their situations, that you would give them wisdom in how to respond, that you, Holy Spirit, would work out and sort out these relationships in a way that would lead to a repentance that is productive and leads to health and joy and a good thing. And I pray this moment of sorrow would be transformed into a moment of joy as they see you working good things out of a very harmful and painful situation. Lord, only you can work this out. We want to hear your word and try to respond biblically to the situation, but Lord, we need you to intervene, and I ask you in Jesus' name to intervene for these brothers and sisters, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take a break until 20 minutes of the hour, and we'll come back at uh, 20 till 1. And um, we'll see you then. Thank you.